Good morning, Calvary. We are so glad you're here. It is extremely crowded in here, and we're thankful for that. It is crowded at the 9 o'clock service, but if you want a little more elbow space, you can actually make a little more space by coming at 9. Some of you are like, I'm not coming at 9, which is good, because we don't need all of you to do that. But I just wanted you to be aware, same programming, same kids, and um, that would be a great opportunity for you to have a little more space. We are continuing on with the Luke series. We're covering uh, the book of Luke from Christmas through Easter. And you can get one of these books still by scanning a QR code on the way out. And uh, I think they're $5. You can get them through the church. And it's just the scripture, but it gives you a little place to write notes out to the side. We're having these. When I refer to the Luke book, that's what we're talking about. And really what we're talking about is the story of Jesus is not just, right, the Christmas and Easter story. So over these next few months, we're going to be talking about what did Jesus' time on earth look like? How did he live on mission? And he started his mission last week by being baptized. We, we described how Jesus' baptism, if you weren't here last week, was the start of his ministry. Because when Jesus was baptized, he wasn't repenting from anything because he had nothing to repent from. But it was a, a signifying his surrender. So when we baptize someone, they're surrendering. They're dying to their old way. They're surrendering to God's way and starting to live a new life. So Jesus' baptism connects with you and me. But it's saying, I'm now surrendering to the will of God and I'm now going to live on mission. So this last week, we asked you and we challenged you, what does it look like for you to repent? What does it look like for you to live a new life? And we, we even did this. We said, we want you to imagine 2024 as you approach that year. What would it look like to look back on 2023 and to see how God is going to move? And are you living with that expectation and that excitement? So if we did that and you said, okay, God, I'm ready for you to move. Very likely you went to the parking lot and you got in an argument, right? Because that's the way this works. So how do we stay on mission? What is the first? Let's look at what happened to Jesus right after he was baptized and see if we can have some similarities in our life that apply to us. If you have your Luke books, it's on page 28. Luke chapter 4 in your Bible, we're going to begin by reading verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Where did he go on mission? to the wilderness, right? For 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. That is an obvious statement in the Bible. 40 days of eating nothing, he was probably pretty hungry. Um, I would like to say hangry, but I don't know that Jesus got angry in that way. So, you know, but there is definitely a longing for something more. So right after Jesus was baptized and he starts his mission, what does he begin with? Silence and solitude and fasting. By the way, we have spiritual formation retreats here, and the first spiritual formation retreat we ask you to go on is silence and solitude. We love, Drew would love to talk to you more about that, or you can go to yourcalvary.info and find out more about that. Then after that, we have a retreat that teaches you how to fast. And I don't know that any of us are going to probably fast 40 days, but learning to fast even from a few things, like skipping one meal, to, to remind ourselves the hunger from the Lord. This is how Jesus began his ministry. Silence and solitude and fasting. 
So if Jesus began his ministry, should we do that? And what was Jesus doing while he was in silence and solitude besides being tempted, right? Because the enemy showed up in his silence and solitude to tempt him. I love this interpreter Bible quote, so I'm going to read it to you. The whole fact of the temptation of Jesus is linked immediately with the critical experience of the baptism. He must now go into the silence and solitude to face in his own thought and his own decisions the alternatives which now lay before him. The narrative is now cast in dramatic form. The arena of temptation, of course, was in Jesus' own mind and soul, and the force that assailed him was invisible. You see, after you surrender and you say, God, what is it your will? I, I want to live on mission. I want to live on task. The enemy that you are going to be fighting most and firm foremost is not from without, it's from within. It's the wrestling of your soul. It's the wrestling of your spirit. So part of what is going on here is we need to make sure that we are grounded in our faith. We are grounded in the direction we're headed. We are grounded because we are going to be told it's everyone else's fault that you're angry. It's everyone else's fault that you're stressed. It's but are you wrestling with what you need to surrender to? And how are you navigating that? And it, that quote also describes the fact that there is a very real enemy that is not necessarily a human flesh form. The devil was tempting Jesus. I don't say the word devil very much because the devil is not actually referred to very much in the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is more about God than the devil. Amen? But the fact is the devil is real. And I think and a very important point to make is spiritual warfare is real. Now, there's several camps of this idea of spiritual warfare, and why we don't talk about it a lot is because in some people's mind, spiritual warfare is uh, overdone, right? It's reserved for those people who go around dancing all the time, or, you know, they're like, uh, and so the, they minimize the fact that there is a very real enemy who is working against you and wants to distract you from staying focused on God. The devil is real, spiritual warfare is real. However, the other extreme of that are the people who feel like, hangnail, what's the devil doing? Oh no, bad hair day! Ah, devil, why are you trying to get me down, right? Or, I can't believe my football team lost. I don't know that God cares about your football team as much as you do. <laughs> he cares about the people. But let's have our perspective, right? Spiritual warfare is real. But you aren't supposed to stay focused on the spiritual warfare. You're supposed to stay focused on Jesus. You acknowledge it, but then turn to Jesus. If you're obsessed with spiritual warfare, that in itself can be a distraction from surrender to God. Okay? Good. I love you. All right. Um, I don't know why I said I love you. I just felt it. Okay. So as we're looking at this uh, passage, I want us to understand we're about to face three buckets or three pools of temptations that face Jesus that many scholars, in fact, most scholars feel like all sins can be summarized in these buckets. However, they disagree on how to describe these buckets. I've heard it said as that these are the lust of flower, fl flower, the lust of flesh, the lust of power, the lust of the eyes. But to be on the same page, and because I want to use alliteration, because it's easy to remember, so we're going to do that. 
I'm going to give you three P's of temptation today. First, the temptation of pleasure. The second is the temptation of pride. And third is the temptation of power. Y'all, I'm using alliteration and have three points. Y'all get ready for an old-fashioned sermon, all right? And as we face these, here's what we want to do. We want to parallel which of these are affecting us the most. Because very likely, right where you sit, one of these temptations is going to be the main struggle you're facing with right now. Although you could do all three. But I want you to identify the one that is getting at you the most right now. And we're going to discuss ways to surrender that to God so that we may stay focused on mission living for Him. Fair enough? First, let's talk about the temptation of pleasure. In verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, why would he do that? Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 there. The entire context of Deuteronomy 8.3 is describing and parallels our story because it's describing how the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Isn't it ironic that Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days? And through the will, wandering through the wilderness, they were like, God, where are you, God? We're hungry, God. And here was the answer as described in Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. And then he gave you manna to eat, which you ate and your ancestors had not known it. So that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And the idea was, as you become hungry, as there's something that you see that you want, I need you to be reminded that those are just things. That what you ultimately need is God Himself. God Himself, the relationship that you and I were made to be in with God Himself, is the primary function of what your life should be about. So when we practice fasting, it's learning that, yes, we need bread to survive, we need food to survive, but we don't necessarily have to have as much of it as we want. So the way this matriculates out, the way this works out in our life, okay, is this is the idea, this is the sin of I see, I want, I take. Daniel sees, Daniel wants, Daniel takes. It's the idea of comfort. It's the idea of being gratified. It's living your best life, right? I don't know why I did this, but I didn't do it too much because that would have been awkward. But living your best life. So some of these sins include, of pleasure include lust, envy, jealousy. Now, why is jealousy? Because the neighbors have it, right? Which goes along with coveting. And if those four don't get you, then the last two probably will. Apathy and laziness. Why are apathy and laziness one? Because you're not living on mission. You're just wanting ease of comfort. A good way to describe this, if you think about this, and a good way to measure this is you are very likely drawn to this, and this is going to be a sin you're going to struggle with if your church attendance is not faithful. Don't hate me. But say, we're here now. Yeah, that's right. But the way a lot of times this works is I'll go to church when it's convenient means that I want to be comfortable in control of my life. I, if uh, there's nothing better, if the weather's just right, but oh, snowflake, staying in. Woo, God made the snow, right? 
But we don't understand this idea. And so the mentality is, I want what I want, instead of making myself stretch to go outside of my comfort zone. Another way that we're wired to do this is we're taught in our society, the earlier you retire, the better. Hear me, retire. I want to retire. And all God's people said, amen. But retirement is not the end of life. It's the beginning of living on mission more. And all the older people went, that's true. How do I do that, right? You live on mission by staying focused on God because God gives you strengths and abilities to stay on life, to stay on purpose, to stay on vision, to stay on mission by looking to Him. And so what we do is we dishonor the intention of God. When God made Adam and Eve, He made them in six days, and on the seventh day, God Himself rested. When God asks us to honor the Sabbath, what he's actually asking us to do is rest so that we can be restored, so that we can live on mission. But we've bought into the lie that we are to work so that we can rest. That's backwards. We rest to get rejuvenated to live on mission. In other words, if your goal in life is relaxation, if your goal in life is vacation, you're falling for the sin of pleasure, and you're going to find it's fool's gold, and one day you're going to wake up and realize the lottery that you won bankrupt you. Because we are called to live on mission. Take your vacations, but use it to rejuvenate you to live on mission. Don't live for the vacations. So some of those sins, as we talked about it, are really about comfort. This is, the, the sins of pleasure are looking for the value of comfort, of ease. So how do you counter this? We counter the sins of pleasure by focus on being thankful and content with what God gives you so you can stay on mission. God, thank you for this bread and not worrying that your neighbors have quail. That was an Old Testament reference. God, thank you for this McDonald's, ignoring that your neighbors have a better quality burger. No offense to McDonald's people, right? I know. Thank you, God, for what you do in my life. Thank you, God, for the family I have. Thank you, God, for the church I have. Thank you, God, for the job I have. Now, help me to use these gifts, these resources for your benefit instead of trying to feel like those extra things that you don't have will give you happiness. They will not. So Jesus says, yeah, God gives me the bread I need. I'm good. The second sin, the pocket of sin is uh, the sins of pride. Luke 4, 5 through 8. Luke 4, 5 through 8 says the following. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you the splendor, your splendor, their splendor, and all this authority because it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want. If then will worship me, I'll, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. <laughs> the sins of pride always come when you have to elevate yourself to the detriment of others. It's the destroying of the imagio Dei. And so the devil offers Jesus to be in charge of other people, which is a little bit of the sin of power. We're going to come back to that. But it's this idea of saying, okay, you get to be 
something of value more than... Do you realize that the devil's power he even admits he didn't own, but it was given to him? Why was it given to him? Because God gave us the choice to serve him or not. So the devil has a lot of power in this earth that he will not have in eternity. And the devil even knows that because he says the power that was given to him was given to him. Well, you know what I'm saying? The devil recognizes God as an authority, and God's in the power, and, and God's in control. So there is goodness there. There is graciousness there. And this idea of power is, is trying to find value from putting other people down. So at first glance, this is some of the sins of pride include power, fame, jealousy, arrogance, narcissism, and selfishness. Oh, those are fun. Let me give you two other ones that aren't on the screen. What about the sin of judgment? I'm better than you because, right? What about the sin of racism? Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. We observe this in honor and belief that all human beings were made in the image of God. We do not believe that a race is better than another race. Why? Because we were all made in the image of God. That is essential and foundational to our faith. Genesis 1, 26. And as we begin to unpack this, what we realize is the sins of pride, I call it the sins of black ice. Because you hit it and you're spinning out before you even realize it was there. And as a pastor, I can testify because this is how a sin of pride can work in a pastor. And maybe you can extrapolate something from this in your own life. Daniel, you're doing such a great job as our pastor. To God be the glory. Daniel, you're the most humble person I know. Stop. Right? And before we know it, it, the pride seeps in. But the way that you know you're prideful is because you're sitting there comparing yourself to other people, feeling better and superior. And the reason you need to feel that way is you're not comfortable in the skin you're in. So you're trying to find your value and your worth by putting others down and lifting yourself up. If you're trying to find your value from others, you're succumbing to the sins of pride. So how do we counter the sins of pride? We counter the sins of pride by shifting our focus to how we are building up God's kingdom, making sure we aren't focused on our kingdom. So the sins of pleasure are ease and comfort. How can I set up my best life, right? The sins of pride are staying on focus, on mission living your life for the glory of God. What about the sins of power? Luke 9, 4, 9 through 13. So the devil took him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angel orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone." And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. And the devil had finished every temptation, and he departed from him for a time. This is a very interesting passage here, because I want you to realize that verse 10 is narrowed in your Luke book, and in most versions of the Bible it's narrowed, which means it is a quote. The devil is direct quoting Psalms 91, verses 11 through 12. Well, how does the devil misquote it? He doesn't. He uses it out of context. You realize there are people who can use the Scripture and quote the Scripture correctly, but they actually use it incorrectly, which is actually more damaging. 
So the devil is saying, hey, you can do what you want to because if God is for you, see if this sounds familiar, then no temptation, no struggle, no problems. You will have no issues in life. Life will be good. So go throw yourself off the cliff and the angels will save you. That's not scriptural, y'all. It's not. We are called to stay focused on God and to do His will in His way. This, this is not glorifying and saying, God, why am I going through struggles? Why am, I, why am I having hardships? Why are there difficulties of life? There are difficulties in this life because sin is in the world. But one day we will no longer sin. So as we stay focused on him, we're saying through the struggles that are in this world, I'm not going to tempt God because Jesus counteracts the, the misrepresentation of Psalm 91, 11 to 12 by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. It says, do not test the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, 16, if you want to write that down, that's what he's quoting. And as he's quoting that, he's saying, I'm going to do what God says. I'm not going to use my power to test God's power. So if you struggle with the sins of power, it's really a sin of control. It's a sin of, I'm in charge. Some sins of power include <laughs> worry, lying, manipulation. I'm going to give you another one for free. Legalism. Why? Because Legalism is a longing for a structure of which you could run to because the world feels like chaos. I know because I can struggle with that one. Is that too vulnerable? But the reality of the issue with power is what you're really trying to do is like, well, anybody ever know that three-year-old who goes around going, Mommy, I do it myself, <laughs> right? Then maybe you're too old. I'm, forgive me if the age is wrong, but you know, I do myself, Dad. Oh, you're going to change the oil in the car? I do it. I do, right? I do myself, Mom. You can't reach six feet up to put that up in the, gro the groceries up. But I do it. I, and they try to drag out. That's how God sometimes looks at us. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you trying to control every aspect of your life? By the way, one of the telltales that you struggle with the sin of control, ask those you live with. Don't elbow the person that's sitting next to you because that in itself is a sense of control. So you are therefore guilty yourself. <laughs> and kids, if your parents control you, that's called parenting. Amen. 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 Testify. <laughs> Preach it, sister. I, I, I like it. Now, if you're doing it when the kid is 40, that's manipulation. <laughs> so this idea of control is coming to the place where, okay, I don't need to be in control of everybody else's life to make sure that my life is good. I, I don't have to navigate all the circumstances and how can I uh, do this to, to make sure that I'm at peace here, do that. To, and so we, we look to the future as something that is to be controlled. Instead of knowing that Jesus is in control and is still on his throne. Our high priest is still here. And so when you look at this, what you're really navigating are the, this, this idea of, okay, the sins of pleasure distract you from the mission. 
The sins of, of pride, right, will get you off mission. And the sins of control will try to get you to be the general on the mission and take charge of the mission when God has to be in charge. So let me give you a simple way to learn how to, to give up control. We counter the sins of power with obedience and sacrifice. So one of the ways that this may work in you, because I can speak because I know I've done and struggled with this in my life as well, is one of the areas that you might struggle with power is with your finances. God, I want to give you everything as long as it's this amount. Right? So you counter the control of your finances because it's really saying, I want to make sure that there's a nest egg by saying, God, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to live sacrificially. So that you're not trying to, to build up the biggest nest egg. You're not trying to have the 14 retirement homes, right? You hear me, go on a vacation. We've already covered that. Don't, feel guilt-free if you go on a vacation as long as you prayed about it and give it to God, okay? But you go on the vacation to be recharged, but you don't control your finances to get to go on a vacation. You don't control your finances to be in charge of your life. That's not a life that we're called to live. And the way that works is, you actually, your goal isn't to see how early in life you can retire unless you're going to retire to live on mission. But when you retire, you learn to use your finances and your money for the glory of God. Let me give you another way that this might work, because some of you, finances isn't really talking about sacrifice. Let me talk about sacrifice where it literally hits you at home. What are your expectations of your kids when they grow up? Say, they can go anywhere they want to as long as they live on the family land in the backyard where I can see my grandkids every day. What if God sends them to a part of the country to live as a missionary, a part of this globe as a missionary, and you never get to see your grandkids but every five years? We live sacrificially for the glory of God. And right now, some of us, I know because I've struggled with it, are we willing to pay the price? Are we sitting there going, that's too steep a price? This is the call to surrender. So here's our daily training. Our daily training, we're going to come back to those Hebrew scriptures in just a moment. The daily training is, I want to invite God to speak to you regarding one of these areas of struggle. Yield your heart to his grace, asking him to reshape your desires. Why? Because our God is good. Our God is merciful. Our God is not distant. He is knowable. He is real. Jesus would go on, and the Easter story is that he would die for you and for me so that we can have a right relationship with him that both now and to an eternity, because this world is not our home. And so we learn to live for the glory of his renown. So as you're struggling with this, I want you to, to begin to say, God, Teach me how to surrender more. And we, found, we find the balance of grace and truth there. And we relate to Jesus by looking to Jesus. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 as we wrap this up. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't it nice to admit sometimes we don't have everything together? But one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Because you do realize temptation itself is not the sin. It's giving in, right? Now, I love this next verse. Therefore, because we have this high priest who has faced every temptation yet did not sin, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Compare and contrast grace with boldness. Right? 
What a great picture. I boldly come before you, God, because you have loved me despite me. I, I boldly come before you, God, because you have gifted me this gift of relationship. I boldly come before and believe that you will provide, that you will meet my needs, that you will sustain me, that you will keep me on mission, even though I know that you know that I will fall short. I boldly come expecting you to move so that 2024, I'm closer to you. I boldly come to you expecting you to do something dynamic in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my work, in my school. God, I boldly expect you to move in my city, in my church, in my country, and let it begin with me. Because you are good. So that we may receive this mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What is your need? Bring it to Jesus. Jesus knew we would struggle. And so, as our deacons are getting into place to pass out some communion cups, we're going to take a time to reflect on this and ask God, what do you want us to take? If you don't have one of these and you're a follower of Jesus, please raise your hand. They'll be glad to bring you one. By the way, bend down first, and that separates it. So that's how you can break it up. I learned that after about three months. But as we take this, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're invited to take this with us. We're going to remind ourselves of God's grace. Because our high priest is not in a grave. His presence is here. And he would go and pay the price for us because he reigns above it all. His body would be broken for us. So take this in remembrance of him. And when the temptations creep in, which are starting probably even now, and you're going, do I really want to surrender? Wrestle with it. Give it to God. Realize his blood was poured out for us. And we take this in remembrance of staying on mission. This is why we observe communion. So right now, as you take this, commit to living on mission in the way God has made you with your unique abilities, your gifts, what you steward with all of you for the general purpose of making followers make followers of Jesus, pointing people to how good he is. Remember that his blood was poured out for us. Take this in remembrance of him. And then after the disciples took that in the upper room, the Bible says they sang a hymn. Why? Because it's in worship we maintain our focus. It's in worship worry dies. It's in worship that we become generous. It's in worship that we let go of control. It's in worship that we don't worry about what we can build up our kingdom. We realize that we're living for an eternal kingdom, and we recognize that He reigns above it all. So let us declare with boldness and grace, our God reigns above it all. Let's stand and sing.